everybody, and welcome to another jam-packed episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips, and i got a good show for you today. Week one of the NFL season was bananas. That's in the books now. We're going to recap today with Joe D'Aloisio, who covers the league for Fansided. Joe is also going to stick around and make some week two picks in the latest edition of Show Me the Money. Stay tuned until the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, or have my take on the controversy surrounding Nike's new ad campaign featuring Colin Kaepernick. We get it all rolling with our opening tip. We'll just take a look at the wild end of the U.S. Open right after this. Y'all ready for this? Welcome to this week's opening tip. On a week where the NFL season kicked off in full swing, with a wild and crazy slate of games, it was going to take a lot for tennis to be the lead story. And a lot did happen. Novak Djokovic is back, baby. Djokovic took care of business, beating Kane Shikori in the semis and Juan Martin Del Potro in the finals to tie Pete Sampras for third all-time with 14 career Grand Slams. Djokovic just trails Rafael Nadal, who was forced to withdraw from his semifinal of knee pain and the great Roger Federer. Okay, I know you're not here for the men's side, Let's get into all the drama from Saturday night. All the drama started in the women's final. Serena Williams, 23-time Grand Slam champion, needs one more slam to tie Margaret Court for the most all-time men or women. She's facing off with 20-year-old Naomi Osaka, a popular sleeper prior to this tournament, including the one I picked to get to the fi- to get a deep run, not necessarily get to the final. She got there. Match is going horrendously for Serena. Osaka dominates the match, wins the first set easily 6-2. Second set, the drama starts. Serena's coach, Patrick Morataglu, is in the stands. He signals to her in terms of telling her to go into the net. Serena does not see this, but chair umpire Carlos Ramos does. Ramos gives her a verbal warning for getting coach. Serena has a discussion with him, so they talk about it. She thinks the matter is gone. So fast forward a little bit into the set. Serena gets mad, slams her racket on the ground, gets a point penalty, which is her second rule violation of the match. At this point, Serena loses it, realizes that she has gotten herself into some trouble, and is arguing with Ramos along the way. Continues to say that he's taking the match from her. He calls him a thief and at that point. She issues a game penalty, going from 4-3 to 5-3 Osaka in the second set. At this point, everything goes bananas. Serena starts freaking out. She calls out the the uh, tournament referee, Brian Early. Serena tells Early that a man will get away with the things that she got penalized for. The ref can't do anything for her. The match ends. Osaka wins. The crowd boos mercilessly. It gets to the point where at the trophy ceremony, Osaka is getting booed as in tears. Serena takes the mic as the runner-up and tells the crowd to cheer for Osaka because she earned this. That would be all well and good, but that's not where it ended. Let's listen to what Serena had to say in her post-match press conference about the whole controversy with Ramos. I can't sit here and say I wouldn't say he's a thief because I thought he took a game from me. But I've seen other men call other umpires several things. And 
I'm here fighting for women's rights and for women's equality and for all kinds of stuff. And for me to say thief and for him to take a game, it made me feel like it was a sexist remark. I mean, like how uh, he's never took a game from a man because they said thief. <laughs> for me, it blows my mind. But I'm going to continue to to fight for women and to fight for us to have equal. Like Courtney should be able to take her shirt off without getting a fine. Like this is outrageous, you know. And I just feel like the fact that I have to go through this is just an example for the next person that has emotions and that want to express themselves and they want to be a strong woman and they're going to be allowed to do that because of today. Maybe it didn't work out for me, but it's going to work out for the next person. And after this, Saria's entourage in the press conference gives her a standing ovation. This whole situation is completely absurd. You're telling me that a veteran umpire like Ramos, who granted, he made a mistake here. He should have taken Serena aside and said, hey, you're ready to accumulate two violations. You need to cool it down or I'm going to have to call a game penalty on you. The fact he gave her a game penalty for saying the word thief is bad. I've heard a lot of male players have epic freakouts against referees, and they have not gotten a game penalty. The fact that he gave one to Serena is bad, but Serena looks very bad here for turning this into a sexist issue. Serena Williams has never been one to fight out for female empowerment. That's been more of her sister's standpoint, Venus. Venus has been very vocal on the tour. She's made a point to fight for equal prize money at the events. Serena has never really been at the forefront of that movement. Serena took the opportunity to try and spin the umpire as sexist to justify her on-court behavior, which to me is outrageous. This is not the first time Serena has melted down at this tournament. Back in 2009, she threatened to shove a ball down an official's throat after they made a bad call. In 2011, she also got an argument with an umpire in the final when she had, they claimed the umpire missed a line call against Samantha Stozier. The bottom line is Serena Williams making this about a female empowerment issue is irrelevant. This is an irrelevant discussion, and it feeds all these Twitter trolls who come out and say, Serena was robbed. Serena had the match stolen from her. No, she didn't. Osaka dominated that match from start to finish. This is a player who stood up to the great Serena Williams, took everything she had to offer, dished it right back to her, and won her first career in Grand Slam. Osaka is 20 years old. She could be the future of this sport. Instead, all we're talking about is the fact that Serena got screwed by a referee. I'm sorry, that's complete BS. Enough of this nonsense. Serena's still going to play after this. The fact she got fined 17 grand by the USTA for this shows that she was in the wrong. Both sides are mistaken here, but at the end of the day, a young player finally broke through, won her first slam, is being overshadowed because of this nonsense. Enough. With that, it's time to shift gears from the court to the gridiron as I'll be joined by Joe D'Alessio of Fansite to recap week one of the NFL season right after this. Rodgers surveying, fires, that's caught Randall Cobb into Chicago territory. Randall Cobb inside the 20-yard line. Randall Cobb is going to score. 75 yards, that is crazy. And we're back. Week one of the NFL season is over, and there was a lot of interesting stuff that happened. Joining me today to break it all down is a guy I talked to over the summer about the World Cup 
And now we're going to focus on American football with Joe Dalvizio. Joe, welcome back to the podcast. Mike, thanks for having me back on. Always a pleasure. No problem. Tell you a little bit about what you do for Fansided. All right. So, yeah, for Fansided, I'm, I'm a uh, freelance writer, uh, specifically with their NFL coverage. Um, I am assigned a weekly FanDuel column. So every single Sunday morning, I post my FanDuel lineup of the week. Uh, sometimes I do well, sometimes I don't, I'm going to be honest. And then throughout the week, I'll post, um, articles on some of the latest headlines and analysis surrounding the NFL. Yeah. I want to thank you because you pointed, told me about the strategy of stacking players and daily lineups. I did that last Sunday with the Bengals. I got three of them in there against the Colts. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you stack a lineup, that'll be, you know, the, um, that'll make or break your lineup. If a stack does really well. You're going to benefit from it, obviously. If it doesn't, that's when you're going to run into problems and your whole your whole roster will fall apart. But, again, if you nail that that stack, you had the Bengals. Last week, my stack was the Saints. That's Even though they lost. Pretty good stack. That was a tremendous stack. I mean, I had Breeze, Thomas, and Kamara. The three of them combined almost got me at 100 fantasy points. That's pretty, pretty good. You can't go wrong with that. So when you nail it, you nail it. But it doesn't happen every week. Yeah. Speaking of week one, this week, I feel like a lot of week one's usually boring as the football is sloppy, a lot of teams don't play in the preseason. I feel like this week, there was a lot of interesting stuff that happened. Yeah, there were a ton of great headlines. I mean, it was, it was, I don't want to say it was great football top to bottom. Um, it was enter- it, entertaining football. It I was think. entertaining. It was good. And I'm, I'm just glad that the regular season is finally upon us and I'm, I'm not watching third, third string uh, quarterbacks try to fight for a roster spot anymore. I mean, you're not a fan of Brogan Roback playing or half of the Browns? No, no. I I'm, I had enough of that. I was ready for the real thing, and just like that, week one is in the books. All right, let's start on week one. Let's start on Thursday night. Season kicks off with the Eagles topping the Falcons on 18-12 to 12 as they raise the banner at the link. I don't know about you, but my big thing in that game, Atlanta still has a lot of issues, and they particularly are bad in the red zone for I don't know how many years now. Yeah, this is an alarming issue for a team that was, you know— a half away from the Super Bowl. Um, their inability to score in the red zone, huge red alert. I don't know if this all of a sudden became more alarming or more evident with the hire of Steve Sarkeesian as their offensive coordinator, but it's got to change, and it's got to change quickly. Um, bottom line, if you can't score in the red zone, you're not going to win games, and you can't settle for th- for three and settle for field goals every single time that you're in the red zone. I mean, Matt Ryan on Thursday was 1 of 9 in the red zone, 1 interception, 0 for 3 targeting Julio Jones. I mean, Julio Jones is your number one guy, your most talented guy on that offense. He should be the main... I mean, there should be flashing lights around him every time he's in the red zone with his size and his pass-catching ability. But Ryan is 1 of 20 targeting Jones in the end zone the last two seasons. Yeah, I had that stat written down. That's insane. Including the playoffs. Yeah, I just, I, I just think part of it is just the play calling is so bad. Because I don't know if you remember last year in the playoff game when they were playing the Eagles, they were down there fourth and goal. They have a f- weird formation set. They had the fullback isolated to one side of the field by himself and a stack of three receivers over there. You're basically telegraphing, hey, we're not going to throw the left. We're going to throw all the right. And I don't know if you if you remembered or noticed in, in this week one matchup, the first time that they drove right down the field, three consecutive plays. Julio Jones is on the sideline. Yeah. That can't happen. I mean, again, he is the playmaker. He is the most talented guy on that offense. He needs to be in when you're close to the end zone. The fact that they are not on the same page is a huge concern. 
And I'll go to go as far as saying, if this is a, an ongoing thing this year, I'll tell you what, Atlanta's going to have a new offensive coordinator. That would not surprise me. Let's move on to local teams. We'll begin with the Giants. Lost the Jaguars 20-15 on Sunday. Big takeaway for me from that game was that the Giants still have a lot of offensive line problems. Eric Flowers looked bad. They had some penalties. Do you think this is more an issue of them not having time to sink and that the fact they played a good Jaguar team, or is this something that you're really worried about? They definitely played a good Jaguars team, so we got to give credit to Jacksonville. At the same time, we knew Eric Flowers stink. You, you knew he would stink. I mean, he was awful last year. He's still awful. There's no getting better. I don't know how he's still on an NFL roster, how the Giants haven't cut him. The more alarming thing was they went on this offseason, they spent the money, they, they added Nate Solder, and he didn't look good. If the Giants don't fix their offensive line, it's going to be a long year. I don't care who you have behind center, Eli Manning, Brett Favre, Dan Marino, Steve Young. I don't care. Joe Montana, you name them. If you don't have the time to throw the ball, it's never going to work. You're, you're not going to be able to be successful in the NFL. And that's why I go back to their 2018 draft selection of Saquon Barkley. Again, he has a ton of talent. We saw him break out a 60-yard touchdown run. But you negate that touchdown run, and he did nothing. They can't open up holes for him. And that's it makes you wonder, did they actually make that right? I don't, I don't think they made that right decision by even selecting Saquon, knowing fully knowing that they have offensive line issues. Well, I mean, they did draft Will Hernandez in the second round, but that's still a— But that you're, yeah. you're, you're banking on a second-round rookie— and you're pairing him already with one guy who completely stinks. So you're, you're banking on a second-round rookie to, to really fix your problems? It's not going to work. Yeah, it's one thing I always wonder with the line, because a lot of these lines, especially because they have three or four new starters on the line, they need time to sort of get their chemistry. Right. But with that schedule, they're not going to have a lot of leeway there. You, uh, I understand that, but at the same time, you've had the entire offseason to really get it together. Yeah. I know maybe they haven't played as a unit together, but they're practicing, they're running with the ones— I mean, at this point, I'm not saying they need to be perfect, but they didn't show any glimpse of hope if I'm a Giants fan with that offensive line. Yeah, and then they play the Cowboys this week. Both those teams are on one. Whoever loses that game is going to be in a world of hurt. I mean, I, don't, I hate to be dramatic and say it's a must-win for both teams, but it really is. You can't, you can't start the season 0-2. You really can't, especially in a competitive NFC. Yeah. One team that's not going to start 0-2 is the Jets. They had a huge win Monday night, 48-17, beat the Lions. Sam Darnold has his Jets moment where he throws a pick on his first pass, pick six even. They get back in this, but they had a complete game. They got five picks, got a defensive touchdown. Andre Roberts runs a punt back for a touchdown. Now, they've had big week ones before and had so-so results after that. How much stock you put into this week one showing for a team that maybe people didn't think was going to be very good? Uh, a ton of stock. Yeah. I'm buying into the stock. 100% I am buying into the New York Jets stock. And and the, and the what I liked, and you mentioned Sam Darnold, first pick, of course, and pick six, right? Yeah, of so, course. So as a Jet fan, how were you? How how frustrated were you with that? I just honestly I laughed. I was like, of course this would happen to him. It, typical, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. Nobody's talking about that interception because of how well he rebounded from that interception. And we've seen people in uh, quarterbacks in the NFL um, who make mistakes and don't rebound. And the fact that you got this from a rookie on his first ever NFL game to rebound and then help lead the team to victory, I mean, 
kudos kudos to the Jets. I think they found their guy. And another thing, that defense, they looked young. They're fast. They looked athletic. They they were they're fast. They're physical. I mean, I know they were saying that they they knew what was coming, but what that means is that they were extra prepared. They're well coached. Exactly. They're well coached and they're prepared and they're putting in the extra time um in the film room to realize uh what's going on and what may be coming. So they deserve that win and they definitely caught my attention. Yeah, and their schedule is not that bad early. They could actually get set themselves up for a decent run this season. But, like of course, I mean next week, the week 2 you have the Miami Dolphins and then the Cleveland Browns. You should easily f- finish 3 and 0 in those first three games. And if you do, you set yourself up pretty well. Now if you if you split them. If you split them, okay. Okay. But I still think you should beat Miami and Cleveland. You should definitely beat Cleveland cuz it's Cleveland. Miami, it's a divisional game, you never know, but I'm going to give the Jets the benefit of the doubt because they're home and how well they played in that week 1 matchup. Interesting we're talking about the USC quarterback getting off a good start because in 2009, Mark Sanchez also started 3-0. and And if Darnold goes down that path, it'll be interesting to see, see if that mirror diverts at some point. History often repeats itself in, in sports and, and, and kind of in anything. But you know what? I, I saw something in Darnold in this week one matchup that I haven't seen. And, and his cool, composed, uh, and his, his composure overall was was really striking and he's he he's a leader and you could tell he's a leader and he he he's gained the respect of his locker room and the guys on offense already all right let's go around the league a little bit start with the Pittsburgh Steelers they were without Le'Veon Bell they managed to only tie the Browns on the road James Conner was fine he has 36 touches 192 yards two scores but the offense commits six turnovers and they looked a bit out of whack how concerned should the Steelers fans be about their performance in that game? I think they're concerned only because of the result. And, um, and the fact they play the Browns? Exactly. You play the Browns and you tie, that's why I'm concerned. I'm not concerned about the turnovers. I'm not concerned about the the Le'Veon Bell situation right now. Because quite frankly, you had a good showing from Connor. Yeah, he was great. I mean, he, he did a great job in the backup role. And I think the main concern going into that game was, how's this kid going to play? Because he's definitely not going to be Le'Veon Bell. Now, the one thing that the Pittsburgh Steelers didn't have because of Le'Veon Bell was that pass-catching ability, that extra dimension in that offense. I think they're going to be just fine. I don't know if Le'Veon Bell is showing up anytime soon, though. And I don't think he'll show up anytime soon. And I think the Steelers are fine with that as long as as James Conner is running and playing the way he did in Week 1. The minute he starts struggling... That's when you'll see people reaching for that panic button. Yeah, one team that could definitely reach for the panic button was is the Saints, who they were the shock of the day that they lost to Tampa Bay. Ryan Fitzpatrick brought back the Fitz magic. He went twenty one for twenty eight, four and seventeen yards, four touchdowns. He ran for thirty six more and another score. But the Saints defense was awful. They ranked tenth in points per game allowed last year. They gave up forty eight and five hundred twenty nine yards of offense. How worried should the Saints be about that defense? I mean, Mike, I'm going to be honest with you. If you told me before that matchup that Ryan Fitzpatrick would outduel Drew Brees, I would have told you you know nothing about <laughs> football and don't ever invite me on this podcast yeah. again. But, I mean, I don't know what happened to that Saints defense. And here is a defense that was, especially the secondary, young, but they performed really well last year. I mean, they only gave up. They— Fitzpatrick, like you mentioned, 400-plus yards, 
I don't think they gave up a 400-yard passer the entire 2017 season. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is concerning. Um, I begin to panic if I'm the Saints. If this week against Cleveland, at home, Cleveland puts up 300 through the air. Yeah, that would be bad. You know, if Cleveland puts up 350-plus, you got an issue there. And then you're starting to think, did Marshawn Lattimore perhaps take a step back? Did this young defense take a step back? And if that's the case, here's another team. You start 0-2 in a competitive NFC, it's going to be a long season. It's also interesting to track the Ryan Fitzpatrick story. I feel like there's – I saw a great meme on Twitter about the cycle of Fitzpatrick, about how he gets cut, ends up somewhere, plays well, takes the job, gets paid, and then he stinks again and gets released. (laughs) It's funny. I'm actually really – Rooting for Fitzpatrick here. I hope he does well. Uh, he deserves it. And who knows? Maybe Tampa just found their new quarterback for for the foreseeable future. Cause don't, don't tell Jameis Winston that. <laughs> I, you know, Jameis is going to be out for the the next three games. But I'll tell you what: if Fitzpatrick is three and one or four and zero, oh, you don't pull the plug. Yeah, Winston got that job stolen from him. Absolutely, and that'll just give Tampa an excuse to get rid of Winston, which. I'm going to be honest with you. They're probably looking for that excuse. Yeah. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't going to be the future of that team, obviously. Yeah. But he could be that that middle bridge. Maybe they draft somebody this year. Yeah. Who knows? Speaking of big-name quarterbacks, two guys who got a lot of hype in the preseason were Deshaun Watson, Jimmy Garoppolo. Both had shaky debuts in 2018. Both lost. Which one do you think is more likely to bounce back and be close to that potential? I think it's going to be Deshaun Watson. Um I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's going to take some time to to um, to get back in the swing of things. Um, he was injured. He had a serious injury. Uh, you don't, Not many players come back immediately and are exactly where they left off. I think it's going to take some time for him to uh, brush off some of that rust. And he has the talent around him. And that's why I think he has more upside than Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, you're throwing to guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller. If you have some time to throw the ball, you're going to have some set, some success. Uh, on the flip side, though, with Jimmy G, I'm going to be honest, I didn't buy into that hype last season. Uh, it was a small sample size. Now, granted, he went up against a really good defense in Minnesota, but they proved that he isn't immortal. You know, they, they forced him to make bad throws, three interceptions, uh, and he doesn't have the supporting staff around him. I mean, he doesn't really have... I mean, Marquise Goodwin is your number one wide he receiver. Got hurt. Exactly, and he's hurt. So now he's leaning on George Kittle, a tight end that nobody knows about. Pierre so, Garçon Exactly, still Pierre Garçon is still around, but how how effective is he on that offense? Uh, I really think Deshaun Watson will be able to bounce back, and and, and we'll see what... You, we'll see um, what Watson could do in the next few weeks. Yeah, they lost week one... They were one of 15 teams to lose week one. In terms of, of all these got teams that lost this week, who do you think is in the most trouble if they're 0-2? Well, we talked about one of them, it's the Saints, but yeah. a team that we didn't talk about is the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Again, similarly, NFC, very competitive. You have to start off well. What was very alarming with Dallas, and this was a question going into the season, was how will their offense be this year? Uh, Des Bryant's gone. Witten retired. Witten retired. So, you know, and now you're you're having issues with the offensive line with Travis Frederick, um, who's, who's not healthy at the moment. But they didn't replace those guys. Yeah, they drafted Michael Gallup in the third round. Okay. What does that do? He didn't, yeah. he didn't even play. He only played like 17 snaps. 
He exactly. Who else did they add? Uh, Alan Hearns. Alan Hearns from Jacksonville. Thank you. Yeah. The the both of them combined for maybe three catches, and they yeah. all came from Hearns. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's alarming to me that they went this entire offseason. They didn't try to to replace or add some type of talent for Dak. Dak has nobody. Now we'll see who Dak really is as a quarterback. Um, they're going to have to rely on Ezekiel Elliott. But if they go 0-2 in this offense, does it move the ball at all? Like they did against the Carolina Panthers, and credit to that defense because they did a great job. Um, there's going to be issues in Dallas. And I think the seat is already hot for Jason Garrett. If they don't make the playoffs this year, Jason Garrett needs to get fired. And if they don't, I've lost all help, all hope in the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, let me give you an under-radar under the radar team people are not really talking about in terms of people who would be disappointing. I think it's the Tennessee Titans. The Titans made the playoffs last year. They had that weird game in Miami over the weekend where they had all the lightning delays. They lost. They had a bunch of injuries. Mariota got hurt. Delaney Walker's out for the season. They lost their left tackle. They play Houston on Sunday, another 0-1 team. Houston is healthier. Tennessee could be 0-2 and he's going down the wrong path very quickly. I don't really see Tennessee as that big of a threat. They were never more than just a, a wild card team, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the landscape of the division— Jacksonville's Jacksonville's a top, you know, with that with that defense. Even though their their offense isn't even anything special, then Leonard Fournette gets hurt. But then you get the Colts, who again were a down team, but they're Andrew Luck's back. I think once Andrew Luck gets in the rhythm, you know that team's going to be better. And then you have Deshaun Watson back with um, with Texans. So that division's very competitive. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me even if. Tennessee was healthy if they didn't make the playoffs this year. Yeah, but for me, the fact is they I have two potentially winnable games there if they lose both of them. That their schedule's not getting any easier. It's definitely not going to get easier. But at the same time, you know, it, it it would not shock me if this team falls to zero and two and misses the playoffs. Yeah. There, there's a good chance that this team is uh, on the outside looking in this year, regardless. All right, let's talk. We'll go from real football to fantasy football for a minute. I'm in three leagues. I lost in two of them. Come on. I, you're better than that, Mike. You're, you're yeah, better than that. Huh? I had some tough luck with some matchups and some injuries. Let's. I know you're a big fantasy guy for induced fantasy coverage for fan-sided. Can you tell me a few guys who I could pick up at my league that can give me a hand in week, after week one? All right, so I'll give you three guys. I'll give you a wide receiver, a running back, and a tight end. Okay. All right. At the wide receiver, it's a name that you've heard. He's a veteran. You may know where I'm going with this. But Seattle Seahawks wide receiver Brandon Marshall. Now listen, Marshall didn't do anything crazy stat-wise in week one. Three receptions, 46 yards or so, but he did score a touchdown. In Seattle, Doug Baldwin injures his opposite knee. So he went into the season with a knee injury. Now he hurts the other knee. He's going to miss some time. Russell Wilson needs to throw the the ball to someone. There's a good chance that Tyler Lockett's already gone. Brandon Marshall is the guy that you should pick up. Okay. Running back-wise, Austin Eckler from the Chargers. Now, Eckler only played in 22 snaps last week, but man, was this guy efficient. Five attempts on the ground, 39 rushing yards. Not a big deal, right? But he averaged 7.8 yards per carry. But in the past game, that's where he excelled. Five receptions for 87 yards and a score. Yes, Melvin Gordon is the starter in LA. No doubt about it. But... If there's any indication, if this is an indication of 
how much more the Chargers want to get Eckler involved, you could you could expect his role to continue to increase. And by the way, this week, yeah, they're traveling across the country, but they face the Buffalo Bills, who just gave up 47 points to, to, the, uh, to the Baltimore Ravens. I like that matchup a lot. And tight end-wise, like I, I mentioned his name more earlier, George Kittle. Now, depending on how deep your league is, he may not be available already. Um, typically, uh, in a 14-team league, he's already gone. But again, Kittle, five receptions, 90 yards. He could have easily been one of the best tight ends in Week 1 fantasy production-wise. He missed a wide now it was a combination. To me, if the ball hits your hands, you got to catch the ball. But the ball was thrown a little overthrown to Kittle. If he catches that, that would have been an 80-plus yard touchdown. And then another instance in that game, Jimmy Garoppolo just missed him. So he could have easily had 120-plus, maybe 140-plus with two touchdowns. All right, so Brandon Marshall, Austin Eckler, George Kill, three big pickups this week. Joe, do you want to stick around and do some NFL picks? Let's do it. All right, we're going to do some NFL picks in week two of Show Me the Money right after this. Show me the money. And we're back for week number two of Show Me the Money with Joe Dalizio. Joe, before we get started, what kind of fan are you? I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. How did you become a Green Bay Packers fan living in New York? So basically, my godfather is a huge Packers fan. When I was younger, he spoiled me with Brett Favre gear. I just stuck with it. I also blame my dad, who's a Giants fan, who's a, obviously a terrible fan for not making me a Giants fan. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. And obviously the Packers opened up the season Sunday night, had that big second-half comeback against the Bears, all the dramatics. Aaron Rodgers gets carted off in the first half. You think he's done for the year. Comes out, plays basically on one leg leads the comeback they win the game 24 23 how awesome was that that was amazing and i'm not going to even say this because i'm a packer fan but that might have been the best prime time performance by a quarterback ever and i'm not talking about super bowl so we uh, yes i know tom brady came back in the super bowl against the falcons but i'm talking monday night thursday night sunday night football that may have been one of the best performances that i ever i've ever seen yeah, I 100% agree. Because, I mean, like, that game was looked like it was over. P- Packers fans were writing the eulogy for the season at halftime. And now they have a big matchup this week against the Vikings. And for NFC North Supremacy on the line. Mike, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm heading out to Detroit in uh, the first week of October, the second week of October. Yeah. Um, I was ready to sell my tickets. Yeah. You know, I honestly thought Rodgers was done for the year and that, you know, here's another season gone. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this weekend really tough matchup against the Minnesota Vikings and you know according to the reports according to coach Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers they're taking it day by day yeah I saw earlier today that uh Rob Demosky reported that uh he has a sprained knee and that's the issue at the moment I'm gonna be honest there's no doubt in my mind Aaron Rodgers plays yeah um you know he definitely to come back in that second half against the Bears they put they gave him the pain medicine that he needed to get back out on the field, but um, I, there is no chance that he doesn't play in this game. All right, before we get into this week's picks, let's take a look back at how things went in Week One. Will Schneiderhan was here representing Team Challengers. He went two and one for the week, 
correctly choosing the Broncos and Bengals while missing out on the L.A. Chargers, which that was not a surprise to me because the Chiefs own the Chargers. Under of Andy course, Reed. they've been dominating against the uh, against the Chargers on the read, like you mentioned. All right, I on the other hand went a perfect three and zero. Oh. Now you're getting cocky. <laughs> Yep, 3-0. I took the Ravens, the Jaguars, and the New York Football Jets. Joe, since you are the guest, you can go first. Who are you going with this week? All right, so I'm going to be honest. I'm taking a couple road dogs here. Interesting. And my first game, my first game that I'm going to take is the Carolina Panthers on the road plus six against the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I know this is a divisional game. But I saw a lot of good things from the Carolina Panthers. This team played well on defense. Their their front looked good. Another young secondary that this year it looks like they may have taken the next step. Um, they they did a good job, obviously containing that Dal- that Dallas offense, which was non-existent. And I'm starting to really get concerned with what's going on in Atlanta and their inability to score in the red zone. That's an interesting choice there, especially Atlanta is a popular team that people, many people pick to go to the Super Bowl this year in their home building. Now you think they can go on too? Yeah, I, th- I really think that's a distinct uh, uh, a distinct possibility, and, and anything could happen in the NFL, but I really like Carolina plus six. Okay, where are you going with your next pick? Here's another road dog. I'm going Colts plus five and a half on the road against the Washington Redskins. I don't want to hear about Adrian Peterson. I don't want to hear about how the the Redskins defeated the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals probably one of the worst teams in the league. Right up there with Buffalo. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I think as the season progresses, Andy Dalton, oh, excuse Andy Dalton, <laughs> Andrew Luck will get better each week. I think he'll 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 take another step in the right direction and help get these this Colts team where they used to be. All right, that's an interesting choice. I actually have a friend who's a Colt fan. I, I thought about taking this pick. I texted him about it, and he says, no way. The team is not that good. So Adrian Peterson's going to run all over him, so he disagrees with you, the Colt okay. fan. That's, that's, mm. And I, I respect that. Um, but again, I have, I have faith in, in the Colts. I have faith in Andrew Luck, and I think the Colts have faith in Andrew Luck. Otherwise, they wouldn't have him throw the ball in his first game 50-plus times. Okay, I agree. And where are you going with your final pick? My final pick... I'm riding the New York Jets minus three at home against the Miami Dolphins. I loved what I saw from Sam Darnold. I loved what I saw from the Dolph, uh, from that defense. Uh, they forced a lot of turnovers. I think they're going to be able to force a ton of turnovers once again against Ryan Tannehill, who's thrown nine career interceptions against the Jets. So I think they have a, they have a field day defensively. Sam Darnold, he'll be able to control the game. Hopefully he doesn't make uh, an early mistake, but if he does, bounce bounces back just like he did in week one. Yeah, I I'm like I thought about the Jets as well. One reason I stay away from them is just their history under bowls that they have a lot of times where they have these big wins and they come out flat as a pancake the next week. That's a big risk with them. I'm hoping <laughs> that this week is a three and zero week for the picks. I'm coming yeah. after you. <laughs> yeah, well, Jamal Adams made a big deal about the whole we're changing the culture of the New Jack City, all that. So hopefully he's right. Hopefully you're right with that pick. So yeah, I, you see it already through one week. All right, let's go up my picks. Pick number one. I'm taking the Eagles minus three at Tampa at Tampa Bay. 
week two, I think, is one of the hardest weeks in spreads to pick because everybody overreacts to the week one lines. I think this is a perfect case of that because Tampa has believes in the Fitz magic. That line is way too small for that game. The Eagles did not look great in week one. Everybody was going crazy about Fitz magic in Tampa, so that's why the line is as small as it is. The Eagles have a much better defense than that St. D. That scored 40 points. They get 40 points in League One. Without a doubt. I actually like that pick a lot. I think the Eagles could win by a touchdown or more. Yeah. Plus, the Eagles also had 10 days to get ready for that game. So they were sitting on their couches on Sunday watching Fitzpatrick play. So they had more time to rest and get ready. I'm saying 27-17 Eagles, pick number one. Pick number two. I'm sorry, Joe. I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings plus one at Green Bay. The Vikings look very good against the 49ers in their opener. They beat up Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers in their building. As far as that Packer game performance, yes, Aaron Rodgers was great in the second half, but in the first half, the Bears dominated that game. They were running the ball at will. The Vikings can, can do the same with Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray. And even though Aaron Rodgers, we know, is going to play, he's going to be limited. He didn't, can't really scramble as much as he likes to. With that Viking front, that could be a huge issue. You know what? As much as it pains me to agree with you, I do agree. And I think the Vikings win outright no problem in this game. Um, what makes Aaron Rodgers special is his ability to to make plays live longer than they should with his scrambling ability, extend the pocket. He can't do that, and he's not going to be able to do that. Um, I don't expect the offensive line to be able to, to keep up with Minnesota for an entire game. Yeah, I have a 2010 Viking win. I feel like when you can get one of the best teams in the NFC as an underdog, I think you have to take it. Absolutely. All right. My final pick, pick number three, I am going with the New Orleans Saints laying eight at home against the Cleveland Browns. Yes, the Saints were big favorites home against Tampa last week. That didn't work out. This team is still elite. They put up 40 points last week, and you know that this group has a ton of pride. They're going to be ticked off. And here comes Cleveland. They're coming in all high about the fact they tied the Steelers. They got six turnovers that game and found a way not to win. I think this is they're going to run into a buzzsaw down here. This could get very ugly very early. I think I have Saints 31, Browns 14. Cleveland's definitely a better team. Yes. But they still stink. Yeah. Let's be honest. And, you know, eight and a half, a lot in the NFL. But, I mean, I could see the Saints winning by three touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> no exaggeration. I mean, the Saints need to show up at home this game. Yeah, and they're, the Browns are walking into a buzzsaw because the Saints know they cannot afford to go all in two, especially losing to the Browns. That game could get very ugly. You may even get a Baker Mayfield cameo if things get out of hand. I hope we see it. Yeah. I feel bad for those Browns fans because they they deserve to see Baker for, sooner than they will. Uh, yeah, they're going to see him sooner. But here's uh, on the flip side, there's there's a reason to be optimistic because this is their best start since 04. It's true. They've lost 13 straight opening week games before this week, so now, that, they, now they're off the schneid. That takes some skill. But unfortunately, they did not get the win, so those victory phrases in Cleveland have not opened just yet. Yep. All right. To recap the picks, Joe has gone with the Panthers plus six against Atlanta, the Colts plus five and a half in Washington, and the Jets minus three at home against the Dolphins. I have gone with the Eagles minus three at Tampa Bay, Minnesota plus one at Lambeau Field, and the New Orleans Saints minus eight at home against Cleveland. Before we move on, I have to get into my suicide pick last week. Last week, I did the pick. I picked New Orleans over the Browns, and this is how that went. If it makes you feel any better, I had the Steelers over the Browns. Yeah, so a lot of people went out in those two games. 
I'm very disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think it would happen this quick. Yeah. I've had a good run on one of those. One time I actually got to Thanksgiving on one of those things, but most time usually out by like week four or five. Yeah, I don't think I've ever made it past week three. Yeah. One, yeah, it's really, really hard to do that. Before you go, I know you have to run. Can you everybody know how to follow you on social media and reset some of the stuff you're up to? All right, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter account is uh, Joe double underscore. Don't forget the double underscore. Double underscore, that's important. And um, Joe double underscore D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. I know it's a mouthful, but... That is my Twitter account. Again, I am uh, freelancing for fan-sided NFL coverage, and I write a weekly fantasy football FanDuel lineup piece that is published every Sunday morning right before, right when you wake up. You're going to wake up, and you're going to be like, well, who should I pick for FanDuel? Type in FanDuel with my name, and you'll get your lineup. Yeah, and I also heard you did a podcast with uh, Mike Demers, who was here last week, and Martino Puccio breaking down week one for the Jets and Giants. Yeah, we did a gridiron recap. We'll be doing that every single Monday. You can find it on my Twitter account. Again, if you're a Giant or Jet fan, we talk, we dive into both of those games, the X's and O's, and give down our our uh, analysis for each. All right, thanks for the time, Joe. Mike, thanks for having me. Anytime. All right, that was Joe Dalizia from Fanside with his NFL picks for week number two. Up next, this week's two-minute drill takes a look at the fall from Nike's new ad campaign, starring the one and only Colin Kaepernick, right after this. Welcome back to this week's two-minute drill. We're going to talk about the fallout of Nike's controversial new ad campaign featuring Colin Kaepernick. Despite not playing in the NFL for the last year and a half, Kaepernick was signed by Nike to a, quote, top-of-the-line endorsement deal for a football player. Kaepernick's new ad campaign features the line, quote, believe in something, even means sacrificing everything. That's generated a ton of criticism, ton, a big firestorm, especially considering the whole divide the NFL has dealt with over the national anthem in recent years. The fact that the league's biggest sponsor, one of the biggest sponsors, I should say, is now siding with the guy who started the whole movement, not going to go over well for the league. Now, this has, of course, inspired a lot of the usual memes, people making jokes of the campaign, but one that caught my attention was somebody made a copy of the Kaepernick ad featuring former NFL player Pat Tillman. If you don't remember Tillman, he famously gave up his football career after September 11th to serve his country and was killed in Afghanistan in 2004. A lot of people are saying that Nike is wrong for not highlighting people like Tillman and instead focusing on Kaepernick, who willingly gave up his football career, potentially, in order to stand up for social justice. This is not about Nike taking a stand or doing what's right and what's wrong. This campaign is all about the money. Nike is raking in the dough. From Sunday to Tuesday Labor Day weekend, Nike sales increased by 31%, according to Fortune magazine. In the same period a year ago, Nike only experienced a 17% bump in sales. So Colin Kaepernick's presence in this ad campaign boosted sales 14%. The ad also has generated a ton of buzz, which you cannot buy these days. Nike has gotten $163 million worth of publicity, according to numerous publications. Now, in the media world, any publicity is good publicity. At the end of the day, Nike is a business. They are interested in making money. They are not interested in being social justice warriors. They are working for 
They just want to create a buzz for their brand, and Colin Kaepernick is creating a buzz for the brand. Does it help them look good in social justice circles? Yes. Will they get customers who support Kaepernick's movement? Yeah. They're also getting buzz from people posting negatively about them, including the people who are posting viral videos of them burning their Nike gear, swearing they'll never wear Nike again on Twitter. That's not going to do anything for Nike. All you're doing is giving them extra attention. If people really are upset about Nike, what you have to do is honestly quietly get rid of your stuff. You throw it in the garbage. Donate to charity would be even better. Just get rid of it. The, the more you show your videos burning Nike gear, you're putting Nike into the minds of people. That is exactly what they want at this campaign. That's exactly what they've gotten. And that's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank my guest Joe Dalwizio for stopping by to talk a little NFL football. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including a more detailed look at the controversy surrounding Serena Williams at the U.S. Open, be sure to check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes simply by searching for Just End the Suffering in the podcast store. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings in order to help make this podcast even better. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet at me with the hashtag FitzMagic if you made it to the end of today's show. Be sure you're locked in next week as I'll take a look at how the Yankees are shaping up for their playoff run and make more NFL picks in week three of Show Me the Money. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Bears fans.